him to God and to ask him for what he would need to reign successfully. And God, in his grace, responded, giving Solomon wisdom and what he needed to do that. Today, we're going to look at two passages from 1 Kings. I'll read the first one just in a bit, and then the second one probably halfway through. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Um, it's gonna, it should appear up on the PowerPoint as well. Now, just to set the scene a little, uh, this passage takes place before that part when Solomon asks for wisdom. It's Solomon's father, David, speaking to him, giving him advice. And basically, David is close to death. So we know that what he's saying is going to be really important. So let's read. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements, as is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we just thank you for such a special time of worship. We thank you of being reminded that it's all about you, that we belong to you, that you purchased us with your blood. And Lord, as I speak today, I pray that that will be on our hearts and on our minds, that that will frame everything, that we belong to you. Um, there is nothing that we can do that makes us more acceptable you. to you, Lord Father, because of your Son. And so, Lord, I pray that that will just be foremost in our minds as I speak. Lord, I pray that your Spirit will be here, um, that your Spirit will be working amongst us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, last Sunday, Emma and I got back from our holiday in Whitstable. We went to Kent for a week. We had a really relaxing time, and actually the British weather was good for once, which was quite surprising to us. And one of the things we managed to do was we had a day trip in Margate, um, which was close by, and we went to visit a gallery. Em's quite into art. I don't mind going, so that's what we did. We went to visit a gallery. <laughs> But anyone watching would notice that we have two quite distinct pro, um, approaches to going around a gallery. So Emma will go up to a painting, she'll look at it, she'll linger, she'll think about the colours, what it makes her feel, what the artist is trying to communicate. I, on the other hand, I'll go up to a painting, I'll look at it for a second, decide whether I like it or not, and then move on to the next one. And I repeat that process as I move around. And with that, I can actually get around a reasonably sized gallery in quite a short space of time. And this has been a cause of um, tension in the, in, in the past. Um, but what I've also noticed is that there's these people who would actually, they invest in these headsets that you can get nowadays, that you can um, pay the extra money and you get some headphones and you go up to a painting which has a number, you type in the number, 
and it gives you this audio giving you a bit of an explanation, a bit of background about a particular painting, maybe some more details about the artist. Now, I imagine that someone who invests in one of those headsets might possibly frown upon my approach to going around a gallery. <laughs> they might think that, how could it be a meaningful experience just to rush around, not paying much attention, not pausing to think about the paintings on a deeper level? For them, I think, probably having that headset, having all the extra details, is probably key for it being a meaningful and satisfying experience at the gallery. And in the passage we've just read, I think having a meaningful, satisfying life is central to what David is saying to Solomon. David doesn't want Solomon to miss this key aspect of living. Now, I don't mind art, but I am a big fan of the Olympics so I, and sport in general, so it was fantastic when that was on. It was great to see Team GB doing so well, but I was speaking to Becky Williams a few weeks ago, but one of the true joys for me of the Olympics is watching those lesser-known sports that don't get much coverage normally. And so one day, I happened to be channel-hopping, and I caught some judo. And I watched it for quite a while because I have a high capacity for watching sport. <laughs> But after a while, I began to realise that I didn't actually understand what was going on. It, it didn't make much sense to me. And to, to be honest, it essentially seemed like two grown people in oversized pyjamas pushing each other and pulling just a little bit. Um, didn't stop me watching, but that's, that's what kind of the experience was. Um, but the next time I saw the I'm Judy on the television, but the BBC, they showed this kind of, this, this short clip beforehand that kind of explained some of the rules, explained some of the terms that they used, what you needed to do to win, the points and everything like that. So the next time I watched it, actually, it was far more enjoyable, it was far more satisfying. It was like that, without that short clip, I wouldn't have had that kind of experience. It wouldn't have had so much meaning for me. We can be doing something walking around a gallery, watching some sport, but miss the point, miss the deeper meaning. In the passage we just read, I think David is touching upon this when he's speaking to Solomon. Walk in his ways keep and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. This is really important. David outlines it to Solomon clearly. The key to a meaningful life is obedience to God. It's about his ways, his decrees, and his commands. And in a sense, that advice is universal. It applies to all of us. It will help you in all that you do and wherever you go. Now, I think as we've been singing this morning, I've been really reminded, I want to make it clear our obedience doesn't make us right with God. It's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that, as I said when I prayed, that we belong already. But obedience is still important and significant. And it's not one we hear about. It's not an idea we hear much about in today's society. Um, I've read this fantastic book recently. It's called The Freedom of um, Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy, don't be put off by the title, is really good. And the author in it um, talks about how society nowadays says for all its problems, 
why maybe people lie, why they abuse others still, is because they don't have high enough opinion of themselves. Actually, it's a self-esteem issue. If they thought of themselves highly, we wouldn't have this, these kind of issues. But in this book, the author says, actually, could it just be that maybe we have too high opinion of ourselves sometimes? But actually, the root of it may be our pride, maybe our arrogance. Who can tell me what to do? The very idea of obedience, walking someone else's ways, is an alien concept today. We should have a high opinion of ourselves in Christ, the identity that he gives us, but it's based on what he's done, the status that he gives us. And because of that, we have no reason to feel pride because we recognise it's only because of what he's done. Tragically, the story of Solomon is the story of someone who loses his way. He doesn't always get that obedience is key. Obedience to God is key. Beginning of his reign, he recognises his need for God, receives wisdom. He even goes on to build the temple. But there's a point where he starts to drift. And I think about nine chapters later, we see the reason for this. So if you can turn to your Bibles, it's in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 4. It will be up on the PowerPoint as well. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. That's a lot of women. (laughs) But we shouldn't get distracted by the number. The issue here is one of obedience, or lack of obedience, maybe. God had told the Israelites not to intermarry with other nations, not because he's a killjoy, because he knew it would turn the hearts of his people to other gods. Solomon disobeyed this command, and his wives led him astray. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. And in a sense, I think Solomon had a divided heart. And this idea got me thinking of a divided heart. Why? Is obedience such a struggle sometimes? So I think if we're honest, it is. Why is it such a struggle? And I think part of the problem is that when it comes to obedience, we start to think of what we are being asked to do and not who's asking us. So what we're being asked to do and not who's asking us. So I can read something in the Bible like, repent and be baptised, Peter's sermon in Acts. And... In all honesty, in my Christian life, for a while, I think I'd done the repenting, but I delayed baptism for quite a long time. I missed out on that because in my heart, I just didn't want to do it. There's no other explanation. I just didn't want to do it. And it took me coming to a place where I could move beyond what I was being asked to do and actually think about the person who was asking me to do it. 
what we do need is to pause in a moment like that, maybe when we're having an issue of obedience, and to think about this great God, the creator and sustainer of all things, who sent his son to die so that our broken relationship with him can be restored. Because if we're honest, we can react to the idea of obedience. Who likes to be bossed around? Who likes to be told what we have to do? But we can't get away from it. It's what we're called to do. We are called to be obedient to God. It's inescapable. So we must obey, but we must also remember that God calls us to obedience because he is this loving father. He knows what's best for us. If a person's at work and a boss or manager tells them to do something and it's within reason, they have to do it. In the workplace, you don't really get the opportunity to question too much. But no matter how good a person a boss is, they're not perfect and their motives may be tainted in some way. They may not have the person's best interests at heart. God is the ultimate authority. He's the living God, but he also wants what's best for us. It's vital that we have those two things in tandem. If we think God only in terms of him in his position of authority, there's a danger that in his eyes he'll become that overbearing boss who's always out to get us. But if we remind ourselves it is this loving father that desires a relationship with us, that we, this person that we belong to, and wants what's best for us, we won't have that problem. The problem of a divided heart isn't one that really, I think, happens overnight. I don't imagine that Solomon woke up one morning and he was on his list of things he had to get round to to marry all those women. Um, just because of the sheer numbers involved, it would have had to have been a gradual process. Um, but it would have started with a shift in his heart. And... I would say that in my experience, a divided heart creeps up on me as well. I think there are times when there is an issue of just willful disobedience, but I think more often than not, it is a divided heart that creeps up on me. And because of that, I think I read somewhere a couple of checks that are quite useful for me, so like a couple of tests to see if my heart has become divided in some way. The first one would be how quick am I to give thanks to God? Now, that doesn't mean just saying grace before I eat, even though that is important. But when things are going well, when, you ha when I'm having one of those days when it just all seems to go to plan, everything runs smoothly, how quick am I to give thanks to God? If at all, sometimes, if I'm honest. And that's really important for me because my attitude in those times of my perceived success or when it's running smoothly give a really good indication of what my attitude will be like when life is a bit more challenging, when it's a bit more difficult. If I can't be thankful for th when things are going well, what generally happens is when life is challenging, there's a danger that I become angry with God. I blame him for things that I think have gone wrong. And if I'm in that place, obedience becomes quite tough. The second check is, what do I spend my time thinking about or daydreaming about? When my thoughts drift, what do they drift to? Um, the things that I spend my time thinking about are things that are probably important to me. Now, it doesn't mean to say that unless I'm 100% always thinking about God, that I'm in a kind of a bad spiritual place. 
if there's something or a few things that I am spending quite a lot of time thinking about that occupy quite a lot of space in my head, it is a good indication that they've taken a place in my heart that they shouldn't have. It could be a particular goal. It could be that I begin to base my decisions around. As it says in the New Testament, you can't serve two masters. And that's why a divided heart is so dangerous, because it prevents obedience to God. There's that great verse in the New Testament where Paul writes, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All things. And I think for a long time I've misunderstood that a bit. I've only thought about it in terms of oh, when something's really hard, God will just get me through it. When, something, when some particularly massive challenge comes my way, God will give me the grace to get me through it. And that is true, but I think there's something more there that I've just realised recently. But I think that's also about in the day-to-day, him giving us the grace to obey on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, to walk in his ways, keep his decrees and his commands. And that's the amazing thing about God. He isn't cruel. He is the giver of the command. (laughs) but he's also the one through which we can achieve it, we can keep it. Um, Solomon's heart was divided. His love of foreign women led him astray, but he didn't have to stay in that place, and we don't have to either. And we have to recognise this challenge, we have to recognise our helplessness before God and learn to rely and experience his grace. And I think that's been the theme that's been running through this series right from the beginning. These great kings who were in such a position of power, had great resources, needed God as much as we all do. And true transformation can only come through him. This God that gave us his son so that we can have a relationship with him, that's the hope for us as Christians that we can go to him, that we belong to him, that his spirit will work in us and help us to walk in his ways. And that's the hope that we need to keep on living by and telling people about. For those who don't know God, in a sense, life lacks meaning. And it might be a strange message in today's culture, but obedience to God is where true meaning and satisfaction is found. Uh, Yesterday, uh, during the wedding, Dan spoke, and he spoke, spoke about love and how it underpins it all, and how love is the most excellent way. Obviously, a very relevant message for a wedding, but as I got thinking about it, I suddenly realised I think part of the problem with society and the idea of obedience is society has separated love from obedience. It's separated love from obedience. And that actually, quite often, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the depth of our desire... The depth of our love is shown by the extent of our obedience. And that obedience is God so loved us that he sent his son. And our response to that is loving obedience to him because he loves us. He wants what's best for us. And his way, his his ways, his commands and his decrees are the best way for us. And that's what provides meaning and satisfaction. I said before that the story of Solomon is of someone losing their way, but the Bible does indicate that maybe towards the end of his life, he recognised the key to understanding it all. 
many commentators believe that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which gives a lot of wisdom. It's basically a book where life itself is evaluated, all aspects of it. And a lot of it is basically pronounced meaningless. Work, meaningless. Advancement, meaningless. Wealth, meaningless. It's like that for a large chunk of his 12 chapters, basically. In comparing Ecclesiastes with Proverbs, I've heard one pastor say Proverbs is like the wisdom of a middle-aged man who's had a bit of life experience and can offer it, whereas Ecclesiastes is the wisdom of someone close to death. <laughs> it's almost like a glass half-empty person on the surface. However, right at the end of the, chapter, uh, of the last chapter, um, and Solomon's referred to the teacher, he sums up his thoughts. He writes, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. After this massive analysis of life, the point of reference that Solomon comes back to is God. Fear him and keep his commandments. I think that it shows that even though he lost his way, in the end he realised that obedience to God is the key to a meaningful life. Early on, David, his father, gives him the charge to be obedient, walk in his ways. And after Solomon loses his, lost his way a bit, in the end he comes back to understand. You take God out of the picture and things do lose their meaning. You, do, you take God out of the picture and you lose the one who truly accepts us, truly loves us, has our best interests at heart. If our hearts are divided, we will miss out on the greater meaning of life and deeper, true satisfaction. But as always with God, if we've lost our way, there's always the opportunity to come back and devote ourselves fully to him. I think Ben's going to come up and lead us in a song today. I just, as I was preparing this um, this week... I think the great thing about worship, and it did it this morning, is it just fixes our eyes on him. And I just encourage us as we sing this next song to kind of think about if there is an area where we're maybe struggling with obedience, to use the time of worship to focus our eyes on him, to think about the one who calls us to obey, and maybe not necessarily the area of obedience at the moment. Focus on the one who calls us to obey. I think we sung in when I surveyed the wondrous cross. Love so amazing, so divine, divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Maybe use this time to ask God for that fully devoted, undivided heart towards him as well. Thank you.